Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider. We'll get started right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyds Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. And the season of dog days is like this, writes the novelist Carson McCullers about the long, hazy days of summer in the deep American South. It is the time at the end of the summer when, as a rule, Nothing can happen, but if a change does come about, that change remains until dog days are over. Now, I don't know if Carson McCullers ever had to endure eight weeks of a Conservative leadership contest, but I feel like she knew how it felt. It's fantastic to be here in Chelsea. It's fantastic to be here in Perth. It's fantastic to be here in Eastbourne. Thank you, everyone. Good evening. It's fantastic to be with you tonight. Great to be out and about in the southwest over the last. We've been hearing the same lines from Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak over and over in the race to succeed Boris Johnson. I'll also lower taxes. Low tax. Low tax. Family means everything to me. Family means everything to me. For my family, family means everything to me. Parliament has been empty, except for the mice. Suspended in time, we've been waiting, as the cost of living crisis worsens, for a new Prime Minister to finally reveal their plan to help. But the wait is almost over. Next week, the kids will go back to school, the MPs will be back in the House of Commons, and on Tuesday, we'll have a new Prime Minister. Get excited? The dog days are almost over. I think we're at a fascinating juncture in British politics. Just two and a half years after Boris Johnson won a landslide, he's gone. The Conservative Party has spent the summer asking itself who it is and who it wants to be. This party has been in the business of winning elections since the 1830s. They dominated most of the politics of the 19th century, 20th century and, so far, more than half of the 21st century. The Conservatives changed to win. We saw it in how they elected David Cameron, how they ousted Theresa May, and in how they changed again to win under Boris Johnson. But that doesn't mean they haven't made missteps along the way or done their time in the wilderness. They're at another juncture now, picking yet another new leader, their fourth in just over six years. They're trailing in the polls, they've been in government for a very long time, and most insiders, if they're honest, 
say that the party is tired. So what's next? Are we watching the Conservatives on their way out of office? Or is this the beginning of yet another shapeshift from the most successful political party in the world? And how much are they going to need to change from the Boris Johnson era to do that? So welcome back to Westminster Insider from Politico. I'm Alva Ray, and this week, on the eve of a new Prime Minister, we're going inside the Conservative Party. We're speaking to Boris Johnson's allies. So it was, it was a huge mistake getting rid of Boris Johnson. I think the party will hugely come to regret that. His critics... Just what sort of position do you think Boris Johnson is leaving the party in? Oh, uh, chaos, I would say, really. And to some of those all-important party members out on the road. I'm version for Liz, sorry, but I don't really like um, Rishi uh, with his uh, betrayal of Boris. We're looking at how Boris Johnson has changed the Conservative Party. Its style, its MPs, its voters, its policies. And we're asking, who will the Conservatives be after Boris? And, most intriguing of all, can they keep winning without him? So I'm on my way to Norwich for the penultimate Conservative leadership hustings that are tonight after a very long summer. Um, I'm on the train, hurtling past beautiful golden fields. I'm also just thinking about quite how different the Conservative Party is after these past few years of Boris Johnson in government. So before we get to Norwich, while we're on this journey, I think let's wind back the hands of time slightly. There were some people uh, who, even back in the coalition days, were believing that a certain blonde mare getting stuck on a zip wire would be their ticket back to the Highlands. It was obvious he was a winner, and it was obvious that people connected with him. Nadine Dorries, the culture secretary, was an early Boris Johnson believer. When David Cameron and George Osborne were leading the party, there were times when we were 12, 13 percent behind in the polls for a sustained period of time. And I actually remember as putting a press release out. I think George Osborne did a press release the day when we got it to be only not only nine percent behind because we'd reached only single figures in, in trailing. While the Conservatives nationally were struggling in the polls, Boris Johnson in 2012 won re-election as Mayor of London in what was meant to be a Labour city. It was a remarkable feat. At Tory conference in Birmingham that year, the crowd went wild. Being just a bystander, just thinking, wow, you know... David Cameron comes to Birmingham, that doesn't happen. And I think I just realised this this is the future for the Conservative Party because we need someone who has that charisma and that kind of appeal. Nadine Dorries had spotted something back then in 2012. But it wasn't until seven years later, with the Conservative Party in a panic, casting around for a lifeboat to save it from electoral oblivion, that Boris Johnson found his chance. The Conservative Party had already been shaken by the unexpected loss of its majority in 2017 under Theresa May. 
But in the European elections of 2019, it got it worse. One of the most remarkable elections this country's ever seen, with both Labour and the Tories having historically abysmal The Conservatives results. finished fourth and got only 8.8% of the vote. Behind Labour, the Lib Dems and way out in front was the Brexit Party, created just a few months earlier by Nigel Farage. This is the worst result the Tory party's probably had in 50 or 60 years ever, I think. At that point, I think the Conservative Party looked at itself and concluded that the only way forward uh, for it as a party was to deliver a Brexit come hell or high water and that the person to do that was Boris Johnson. This is David Gawk, who was Justice Secretary in Theresa May's Cabinet at the time. But it was a fundamental shift in the Conservative Party. It was a move away from trying to find a pragmatic solution to the Brexit problem towards a fundamentalism that I thought was irresponsible. I think the most impactful thing that he did in those early days was to appoint Dominic Cummings as his chief of staff. This is Margot James, who was a Conservative MP between 2010 and 2019 and a minister under Theresa May. The people that he appointed to manage his number 10 operation were essentially his Brexit campaign group. And that was really shocking. Overnight, the pro-European wing of the Conservative Party found it was no longer welcome. And it was told so in no uncertain terms. Dominic Cummings had been asked by the Prime Minister to follow up with a couple of us about some of our concerns. As soon as one of our number got on the phone to him, Dominic Cummings just basically swore down the line at him, got really, really angry over these effing Remainers and when are you going to learn? And he was just so aggressive. But he was acting, you know, in the name of the Prime Minister, so the buck stops with the PM. Classic Dom. This party that had spent decades divided over Europe had finally picked a lane. Under Boris Johnson, this was the party of Brexit. And the Conservative MPs and members who refused to get behind the most extreme form of Brexit, a potential no deal, would be purged. David Gawk, along with Margot James and 19 other Conservative colleagues, were unceremoniously stripped of the party whip for voting against leaving the EU without a deal in September 2019. You know, my views hadn't really changed. I was a Eurosceptic, but I did believe our best interests lay in a constructive relationship with the European Union. And that position was viewed as essentially betraying democracy. But it was a change bigger than simply towards a firmer pro-Brexit stance. It was a different tone, a different style of politics that Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings brought in. The Conservative Party was now chasing after a different type of voter. There was an opportunity for the Conservative Party to appeal to, um, how how shall we put it, cultural authoritarians, if you like. Yeah, I don't mean to be pejorative, but essentially, um, you know, working class patriotic slash nationalist voters who had voted for Leave, who maybe had voted for Nigel Farage, maybe in the past had voted Labour quite frequently. Those voters were in play. They want a change of government, Mr Speaker, let them have an election. 
and a different style, a different tone was applied to win over those voters. People in this country have had enough of it. This parliament... It was more divisive. And let this government... It was more combative. It was less nuanced. I think it was a less thoughtful approach to politics. And certainly you could go back to Boris Johnson's House of Commons performances in the autumn of 2019, and that was very much the tone he was setting. I found a lot of those performances thoroughly distasteful. I think the party was changing really before Boris Johnson. I mean, I think the party changed really after the referendum. Uh, And there was a lot of talk about the benefits of uniting the right. And that's really what's changed the Conservative Party. It is the successful, if you believe in it, uniting of the right wing of this country, um, which had hitherto been been split by UKIP. David Cameron was more the catalyst for that. Boris Johnson was the vehicle. Margot James, like dozens of other Conservative MPs in 2019, decided not to stand for election again. The Parliamentary Party was looking quite different. And the grassroots had changed too, with new members who were more supportive of Brexit. My association by then had been completely changed. 70% of the membership were entirely new and had joined in, in the previous few years. But that wasn't the end of Boris Johnson's transformation of the Conservative Party. Good evening, everyone. How are you? How are you? Thank you all very much. Wow, what an enormous crack. With a new Brexit deal in his pocket, Boris Johnson went to the country. Are you ready for the contest ahead? Are you pumped up? Courting new voters in places that had never elected a Conservative MP before. There's this massive electoral realignment, which the Conservatives under Boris capitalised on brilliantly. Rachel Wolfe was co-author of that famous 2019 Conservative Manifesto and one of the most important thinkers behind the Boris Johnson landslide. It seems to me that what Boris was able to do, and this is a personal political talent, was bring together that new group of voters. Their priorities are somewhat different from the traditional Conservative base. Uh, They were not persuaded by Cameron and Osborne in 2010 or in 2015. They're not that group of people and maintain a remarkable percentage of the traditional Conservative voters. It wasn't all because of him. Some of it was just because everyone really hated Jeremy Corbyn, but but it was substantively because of him. Um, And did that through his own special brand of elision um, that I think is very hard to replicate. I'm really interested to hear about how conscious that shift was. Was there a sense of sort of changing the Conservative Party in a sense, going after new voters, the identity of the Conservative Party shifting a bit? Yeah, I think on our side it was hugely conscious um, and and had a legacy. There'd been some attempts to do this under Theresa May. There was the just about managing speech. You can just about manage, but you worry about the cost of living and getting your kids 
into a good school. Some people talk about it geographically in terms of the red walls. Some people talk about it more kind of demographically, kind of working class, lower middle class, English and Welsh voters that were entirely winnable by the Conservative Party, but there had been insufficient focus on their issues. So for our part, it was incredibly conscious. And also we did try and focus on things which mattered to everybody. So we, in the manifesto, simultaneously 100% were trying to go after these new voters that we felt had started to shift because of Brexit and before, um, and tried to look at issues that we thought were universally important to people. Is that electoral experience looking at who the Conservative Party was winning or losing and thinking that there needed to be a shift? Or has that come from your beliefs or Boris Johnson's beliefs that that's really what the Conservative Party should be for? I mean, people will give you different answers. I'll, I'll give you mine. have always felt that there was a huge swathe of people who were neither rich nor poor, whose values were inherently conservative in certain ways. They care about hard work and fairness of a certain kind and who very legitimately felt let down before they voted Brexit, were unquestionably in towns that had slowly declined over time and we hadn't done enough about it. As Rachel Wolfe says, these people were not persuaded by the Tory party of the Cameron years. Indeed, Nadine Dorries once said that David Cameron and George Osborne were two arrogant posh boys who didn't know the price of milk. And in 2013, she suggested that the Conservatives stand joint candidates with UKIP. Now, in fact, rumour has it that Boris Johnson might be a bit posh himself. But it's always struck me that for a politician like Nadine Dorries, Johnson represented an important change in who the Conservative Party spoke for. I asked her if that was an important part of her early support for him. Yeah, because um, Boris is posh, but he's also clever. He's a big thinker. He's somebody who really cares about individuals, regardless. He doesn't see somebody's background. Someone who um, had huge ideas and huge ambition for the country. He actually feels that the country is an amazing place and could be so much better. And he actually truly believes that. And I think you only have to spend 10 minutes with him to realise that he truly believes that. I, I just saw somebody who actually was really going to do things. Good morning, everybody, my friends. Well, we did it. We did it. We pulled it off, didn't we? We pulled it off. We, we, we broke security. The biggest Conservative majority since the 1980s. As we all know, in December 2019, riding a wave of optimism exactly as Nadine Dorries describes, Boris Johnson proved he was the winner she and others had always thought he would be, winning an 80-seat majority. But the hope of the 2019 election quickly turned when, three months into government, coronavirus hit. The coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. I mean, that was just, you know, the destabiliser, really. The thing that stopped all the ambition, all the big ideas, all the aims and objectives of the country dead in its tracks. I'll spare you a potted history of Boris Johnson's premiership, but you know the score. There were highs... Captain Hindsight is rising rapidly up the ranks and has become general indecision, Mr Speaker. Uh, I do think that this deal uh, represents 
Uh, a very good deal, basically. Conservative Party candidate, 15,529. The mandate for us to continue to, to deliver, uh, for, not just for the people of Hartlepool. And then some lows. Do you think that Owen Paterson was guilty or not? I think it was a, a, a very sad case. I now fear that my comments in the leaked video of the 20th of December last year... Mr Speaker, because I was also furious to see that clip. Sorry. And I'm sorry for the things we simply didn't get right, and also sorry for the way... There can be no doubt that the Prime Minister himself is now subject to criminal investigation. Today I've received a fixed penalty notice from the Metropolitan Police relating to an event in Downing Street on the 19th of June 2020. Behind the scenes, and sometimes on the airwaves, Conservatives were worrying about the damage Boris Johnson was doing to what we used to call standards in public life. Here's the pollster, James Johnson. When that Martin Reynolds email came out, the famous bring your own booze email uh, landed, voters saw that, fairly or unfairly, as the decisive proof that Boris Johnson had lied to them. We did a poll at the time, a famous word cloud, and it showed, you know, the, the people, people's number one word that they associated with Boris Johnson was liar. And it was very hard for him to shake that reputation. Suddenly, Boris Johnson, the winner, didn't look like such a winner for the Conservatives. He marched them up to the top of the hill, but he marched them down again. Boris Johnson, traditionally, did poll better than the party, particularly in seats and amongst voters uh, that were won for the first time for the Conservatives in 2019. But after Partygate, that took a severe turn. Now, the Conservative Party's ratings went down as well, but they went down by less steep an incline. And if you were a Conservative MP and you were looking at the situation completely logically based on your seat, based on the polling, based on local election results, based on by-election results, it'd be very hard to come to the conclusion that Boris Johnson was a positive for holding on to your seat. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. As for those who are left, the charge of the lightweight brigade. <laughs> to speak of the job of a Prime Minister in difficult circumstances when he's been handed a colossal mandate is to keep going. And that's what I'm... I have concluded that the problem starts at the top and I believe that is not going to change. Two and a half years after winning the Conservatives their biggest majority in 30 years and after a prolonged period of scandal, the transactional relationship just wasn't working. The herd instinct is powerful. When the herd moves, it moves. And my friends, in politics, no one is remotely indispensable. Boris Johnson swooped in like a hurricane, changed everything, and now he's off again leaving hurt, confusion and a long list of broken promises behind him. Not for the first time in his life. His popularity ratings with the public haven't recovered since he stepped down. But the Conservative Party is bitterly divided over his legacy. What sort of a position do you think Boris Johnson is leaving the party in? Oh, uh, chaos, I would say, really hopelessly divided in hot to its right wing. And the irony is that Boris Johnson's not particularly right wing. As mayor of London, he was a one nation conservative. So to the extent he has any political principles, I would not say they were of the right, yet he has bequeathed a party that is now firmly 
uh, in the hands of its right wing. So it was, it was a huge mistake getting rid of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. I think the party will hugely come to regret that. It's almost, you know, collective insanity in my party to have removed a Prime Minister who took us for the first time in 40 years to the position of a comfortable majority. I know there are people who just still can't quite believe what's happened. And I think it will take time for people to realise and to come to learn what happened. But it's been quite bizarre. Boris Johnson's Conservative Party has a different tone. Different MPs, different policies and different voters. What next? Join us in part two in Norwich as the Conservatives, who can't even agree on whether he should have resigned in the first place, try to work out who they will be after Boris. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A message from Lloyd's Banking Group. Lloyd's Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise, and guidance to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade. I remember back in October of last year being at Conservative Party Conference. It was the first time that the whole party had been able to get together in person since the 2019 election victory. Boris Johnson was at the height of his powers, delivering a speech that didn't really say much, but made everyone feel great. And wasn't he brilliant, my friend? Let's hear it. Let's hear it for John Bon Govey. Even then, there was a tension in the Conservative Party's transactional relationship with Boris Johnson. I still remember one party member saying to me, we love Boris and we love being in power, but we're not really using that power to do conservative things. And it's no coincidence that the most attended fringe events that year were all about the need to cut taxes. The Tory identity crisis was bubbling under the surface even then, and those concerns over tax and spend under Boris Johnson have burst into the open during this leadership contest, as we saw again in Norwich last week. So I've just arrived at the hustings, and um, I've got to say it's great to be here in person. It's really, really buzzing. Huge security presence when I arrived, and I was immediately accosted by 
uh, someone asking me if I would take a Ready for Rishi leaflet, quickly followed by a Liz for Leader sticker. We need to cut taxes. We shouldn't have put up national insurance. No, of course I'm going to cut your taxes, but I'm going to do that responsibly by being tough on public spending and by growing our economy. Have you decided who you're voting for? Um, I think I'm going to vote for Liz, yes. Okay. Well, yeah. And what, what is it about Liz? I think that we need a different approach, and I think that her idea of cutting taxes is, is a good idea. Almost certainly I'm voting for Liz. <laughs> I think she has the best ideas, um, and I'm shot, sorry, but I don't really like uh, Rishi uh, with his uh, betrayal of Boris uh, leading up to um, the resignations and the rest of it. Yeah. So um, he sort of skewed my uh, view of him, I'm afraid, but I think Liz trusts she's probably got the right ideas. Yeah. What, what ideas in particular? What? Well, about um, not taxing people, things of that sort. She is for low taxes, yeah. and I am for low taxes, and Rishi is not for low taxes. So, you know... Away from the hustle and bustle of the hustings, I found a quiet spot to sit down with some Conservative members and ask them in a bit more detail about who they were backing and why. Sure enough, the biggest moment of enthusiasm came for Liz Truss's tax cuts. She's got all the right ideas, cut taxes, um, help people on the ground, help people get houses and go back to the 2019 manifesto that got us in. Yeah, in my opinion, she's absolutely perfect. So this is so interesting because you've talked about a bit about Boris's promises and Boris's ideas, the 2019 manifesto, and then um, the impression I'm getting, I haven't heard from all of you on this, is that you like Liz Truss's promises, especially the low-tax message. And to me, that's a little bit different to Boris's promises from 2019, you know, levelling up, investment, maybe a bigger state. Liz Truss is promising to cut taxes. That's a bit of a change. It's much more attractive, much more attractive than the big state kind of tax and spend, which no real Conservative wanted. Let's be honest about the mandate from 2019. That was very much deliver Brexit, defeat Corbyn. Everything else was window dressing. No one voted for the Conservatives thinking... What is Boris Johnson's view on net zero? Or what is Boris Johnson's tax and spend policy? They wanted those two main, main things to be delivered, which he did. Dig under the surface, and there isn't much enthusiasm in the Conservative grassroots, here at least, for Boris Johnson's 2019 promises on levelling up. Rachel Wolfe, the 2019 Manifesto co-author, is worried that in the navel-gazing, tax-cutting wars of the Tory leadership contest the party has forgotten how different its new voters really are. One of the things that I've been worried about over the leadership election is that neither the candidates nor the party seem to understand quite how enormous it is in that the people who voted Conservative are different demographically and in terms of where they are, and they are much more exposed to... The cost of living crisis, which is a monumental issue, uh, and much more concerned with things like immigration, crime, things that haven't really had a huge play. I think one of the things that really worries me at the moment, you know, that these are people who, as I said, I felt left down. They're not, they're not 
until the cost of living, they've not been in terrible straits, they're fine, they're just about managing, but didn't feel the state had worked for them, who voted Brexit partly as a desire to see change, who voted Conservative in 2019 because that change was promised, and will again, I think, legitimately feel let down again because partly for good reasons, COVID, energy crisis, Ukraine, partly for bad reasons, which is that it's not been a particularly well-run administration, um, will feel that they haven't seen anything for their vote. And I think there's a glib assumption sometimes in politics that that means they'll just switch between Conservative and Labour and back again, and it sort of doesn't matter. But in the long run, I think it's incredibly destructive. It's, it's morally wrong, but also it makes it much more likely that these people are going to be susceptible to populist, really populist politics. And we should be very worried about this. North and South, rich and poor, traditional Tories and lifelong Labour voters, the voter coalition that Boris Johnson assembled in 2019 was an amazing political feat. But David Gawke sees that diverse electoral coalition as a bit of a poison chalice for the next Conservative leader. That Leave coalition that Boris Johnson created in 2019 wasn't particularly coherent on economics. There's a problem for the Conservative Party in, in, in that. The ambiguity of Boris Johnson, the fact that he, he was all things to all people, that you couldn't pin him down, there was no real coherence to his economic beliefs, um, was an advantage in holding a fairly incoherent coalition together. Take that away, put in place uh, someone who to be fair, has got quite a lot of ideological clarity about her. Uh, and I think that could be politically difficult for the Conservative Party. As I left the hustings in Norwich, I couldn't help but feel that the Conservative membership, like the party at large, is a bit confused about what it stands for as Boris Johnson leaves Downing Street. They have new voters and new promises to keep, but they're also hoping to return to traditional Conservative economics the populism, the position on culture wars and Brexit and the media doesn't seem to be changing much from the Boris Johnson days. President Macron, friend or foe? The, the jury's out. But I believe in Britain, unlike some of the media who choose to talk our country down. And that's a great shame to a certain kind of Conservative, like Margot James, who feels that the Conservative Party has moved away from her, and from its traditional values. I am still a member, yes. However, it's it's not some... I, I, I don't feel at home in it. No, no, not to be honest. You know, I'm more of a traditional conservative. I have respect for our institutions. I have respect for parliament, respect for the judiciary, neither of which has been particularly on display from the Boris Johnson government. And I have also a, a great commitment to the sound management of public finances. Here's David Gawke again, who has gone from being in Cabinet under Theresa May to no longer a Conservative Party member. I think at one level, what we're seeing with the Conservative Party and I assume Liz Truss's victory is continuity in terms of style. You know, this is still very much a, 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 the Leave Party, still very much hardline on Brexit. I mean, you know, 
frankly, neither candidate has done anything to kind of challenge the drift towards the sort of cultural right, you know, whether it be on Rwanda, whether it be discussions on judicial review, immigration more generally. You know, it does feel like a, a party that has you know, committed itself to a particular course that served it very, very well in 2019. But I think over time it is going to become adrift from a larger part of the electorate. Now, the Conservative Party has always been very adaptable in the past. It's been able to reinvent itself, and maybe it can do it again. Um, but you know, I think it's going to be quite hard because I think they're very committed to a particular direction. They've won those red wall seats, and I think that'll be the focus of keeping hold of those red wall seats. But I personally think that in the medium term, that is a political cul-de-sac. But for Liz Truss's supporters and allies, she has the makings of the next great Conservative Prime Minister. She's been underestimated for her entire political career, and she could well be again. She shares the instinctive ambition and positivity of Boris Johnson. But there's another politician she reminds members of. Yep, you've guessed it. Liz has got a touch of Margaret Thatcher. If she says she'll do something, she'll do it. She has said, I will do, and she does. But I was surprised that even the trust supporters in the Conservative grassroots don't think it will be easy. They're worried that time is not on her side to transform the economy and that the Parliamentary Party, the MPs who ousted the last leader they loved, might not get behind her. And that's before we even get to the economic landscape that awaits the new leader. Here's Rachel Wolfe again. This is just a massive crisis. And it's going to involve either huge unpopularity or state spending of a kind that the party is very uncomfortable with. I think it's going to be really brutal. It all rests on how the next leader navigates the stormy seas ahead. Here's the pollster, James Johnson, again. I think the key point is there are lots of different ways to win the public over. You can do it in the Boris Johnson manner and the you know, connection and the charisma, or you can do it through delivery. 2019 was always a high watermark for the Conservative Party. Only a couple of the most excitable pundits sort of thought maybe the Conservatives can build on a majority of 80. But actually, because of those circumstances of Brexit, Boris and Jeremy Corbyn, it was always going to be quite difficult to replicate. So I think the Conservatives will be aiming for, a, quite frankly, a majority of one. And if they can get a majority of one, I think they'll be happy. And I think that with either of the leaders, there is a chance of that, there's a considerable chance of, of that happening. The route to winning these voters might be different from the route Boris Johnson took in 2019, uh, but it is still eminently possible. While the Conservative Party grapples with his legacy, his policy platform, his voter coalition and the electoral challenge ahead, what about Boris Johnson, the man? He's not dead, after all. He's just moving to the back benches. How will that blonde-haired backbench MP sitting somewhere behind the new Prime Minister behave? A senior Conservative joked to me that Boris can't really help it. Whether he's trying to be helpful or unhelpful to his successor from the backbenches, he'll cause a headache with every word he writes in a newspaper column and every line he utters on the American lecture circuit. That's just Boris. And there's no guarantee that he'll even want to be particularly helpful. 
But what about where the Conservative Party is now? How will the Conservatives be without him? Um, well, you probably asked me that question um, a little bit too early. You know, I'm supporting Liz Truss. I don't know about you, but I don't detect a huge amount of enthusiasm for the post-Boris era from his closest allies. She's the only person who has the ability to... I mean, she knows she's been there. I've been in Cabinet. We've seen what's happened over so the year that I've been in Cabinet, where, you know, so much of what I've wanted to achieve as Cabinet Minister in my department has been blocked by the tree. And, you know, our, all our hope is going to be on Liz's shoulders. In Norwich, too, many of the members seemed just as interested in a petition to bring Boris back. I did actually, I did actually sign the petition. Did you? Uh, there's a petition on, online, so I did actually sign that. I think Boris was a fantastic PM. Yes, he made a few mistakes, but um, if he was on the ballot now of the three, I'd, I'd pick Boris every single time. Boris Johnson, the blonde bombshell has transformed British politics. Will he be a modern-day Margaret Thatcher, an ex the Conservative Party tries to move on from but just can't get out of its head? Or what about a modern-day Churchill, the leader who came back from defeat to win another election victory? I mean, he'd just love that, wouldn't he? I want to thank everybody here and... Hasta la vista, baby. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider with me, Alva Ray. If you've enjoyed it, please spread the word, follow and maybe leave us a nice review. And don't forget, you can go back and listen to past episodes, including what happened in the 2019 election and why Britain always hates its leaders in the end. Timely. Thank you to my guests this week, Nadine Dorries, David Gawk, Margot James, Rachel Wolfe, James Johnson and all of the Conservative members who spoke to me in Norwich and all of the other Conservatives who have spoken to me on Background. My producer this week was Robert Nicholson of Whistledown Productions with extra sound recording from Jake Lee Savage and Jill Achinaku. Here at Politico, my executive producer is Christina Gonzalez and my editor is Jack Blanchard. We'll be back next week. See you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.